Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Russ Cordell. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Galatians chapter 5 and 13 is where we're going to start today. Passage many of you are very, very familiar with, but I have a, I have a specific message. I'm just going to teach a little bit today, if that's okay. Uh, just have something in my heart. I've been preaching a lot on and off throughout the series, uh, coming out of COVID and back into normal church services on the Holy Ghost. And I want to share something with you this morning uh, related to these messages. Galatians 5 and 13 says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Can I get an amen, amen. on liberty? We have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all of the law is fulfilled in one word, even this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. That's not one word, is it? You kind of messed that up. But the one word, obviously, is love. You can be seated this morning. And I have more to say about that. Have you ever heard the terminology, the phrase used, dressed to the nines? Dressed to the nines? I am not dressed to the nines this morning, I don't feel. I don't, I don't feel that I would qualify with that. that. That's usually classifying somebody who's really just really stunning. Maybe they're in a tuxedo or a brand new fabulous dress and all the accoutrements and the, and the hairdo and the fancy shoes and all that kind of stuff, right? It's called dressed to the nines. And, and nine, it's interesting, there's other terms that use the, the number nine, cloud nine, and, and, and other things like that. But uh, I was researching this, and, and I just, this just came to me as I was preparing this message of the thought about dress to the nines. And so uh, that's the title of my message today, dress to the nines. And so there's a new uh, dress code that we're going to be instituting here. No, I'm kidding. Totally kidding. Um, but it got me to thinking about that, and I started researching. You ever come across those phrases, and you wonder where that phrase came from? Where in the world did, why, why do we say that? What does a stitch in time saves nine mean? And so on and so on, right? There's, there's, there's fun phrases like that, and sometimes you see it online, and people describe the sources of that. And I was thinking about dress to the nines, and there's actually quite a bit of controversy associated with where the phrase dress to the nines came from. But it, uh, today, in its terminology and its vernacular for, for decades, has alluded to the idea of being dressed really, really sharp, like just really looking good, dressed to the nines, right? Uh, and so as I researched this and I looked at some of the theories related to dress to the nines, one of the thought was is that it meant from top, from toe to head, that you were looking really sharp, and that it meant from toe literally to head, and these are the nines, Right here, the human ear is in the shape of a dine, kind of, right? And so that was one idea, that you're dressed all the way to the nines. Uh, but the term nine, as I mentioned other, the, a moment ago, the number nine is associated with perfection or excellence or sharp, looking good, top level. Nine is a significant number. That's why cloud nine. When you're on cloud nine, you're like on the best place, right? I'm on cloud nine today. Uh, I'm in the best place today. And so uh, another theory is that there was a British regiment uh, referred, to the, referred to as the 99s, and they were known to be the, one of the sharpest dressed army regiments of the British uh, fighting forces, and so they thought dressed to the nines was in relation to the 99 regiment, and so on and so on. And there's other, there's other little bits and pieces there that associate with that. But again, ultimately, we come to those terms with the idea that if you, someone says, hey, Brother Rob, you are dressed to the nines today, looking sharp. 
And that means you've really, you've really put on your top level stuff and looking good. Okay, so I was thinking about that as I was preparing this message on the nines. And the nines that I want to talk to you about today are certainly nines of perfection, certainly nines of the top notch, the nines of the top level. And, and it's related to the Holy Ghost. They are attributes. They are accoutrements, if you will. They are the, the trappings of the Holy Ghost and the power of the Holy Ghost that we have. And I want to tell you today that the nine fruit of the Spirit from the Holy Ghost and the nine gifts of the Spirit are going to be crucial and powerful things in our lives that are going to help us going forward to thrive and to survive until he comes. I'm not going to talk about anything going on outside right here, right now, in the power of the Holy Ghost and why we need to be dressed to the nines. Moving on in the book of Galatians, verse 15 says, but if ye bite and devour one another, you know what that means, bite and devour one another? Nipping and picking and it like this. It says, if ye bite and devour one another, take heed, beware that ye be not consumed one another. So in other words, if we got into like the worldly type thing, right, and, and we were doing what's going on in some places, again, I'm not gonna talk about what's going on out there, but if we, if we take on attributes of the world, what am I talking about? People without the Holy Spirit active and operating their lives. We take that on and we begin, and we were to, to, to be like that and knit and pick and tack and, and, and do like this. Uh, eventually, not only will you eat that person, they'll eat you too. In other words, it'll, it'll tear one another up. Anybody work in a workplace environment like you've seen like that or, or, or maybe unfortunately you've got extended family that gets into that type of thing or uh, neighbors, I've seen it go on in neighborhoods with people back, blah, 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 like back and forth and back and forth biting one another. But there's a warning there not to be consumed one another. Verse 16, this I say then walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now a lot of times when, when, you, when you hear the word lust, everybody always wants to take the word lust into a... Um, a term related to amorous affections, let's say it that way, there's children in the room, uh, uh, things related to um, relational interactions, being careful. But it's not always that. Lust in these contexts, this lust of the flesh does not always have something to do uh, related to bedroom folly and so on. It, it relates to just just fulfilling our wants and our needs and just engaging in what the flesh does. You see, as I've said before many times from this pulpit, that those of us living with the Spirit infilling, the Spirit inside us, we deal in a battle every single day. A, a war goes on back and forth between our spirit and our flesh. Until you're dead and you're gone, you're never going to escape this. You're never going to get out of this. And it's always going to fight against that spirit that's inside you. You're always going to have that war going on inside you. And, and so we battle back and forth. So the lust of the flesh... Again, don't just have to do with amorous things. It has to do with when you push away the spiritual side of things or you allow the flesh of, of your body, you allow this, this animal caveman person guy to, to just indulge in what I want to do without restraint or without controls or without thought of other people. 
See, that's how this animalistic flesh operates if we don't keep it in control. That's why we have the rule of law. That's why we have Emily Post. Thank you for her and her direction. And for those of you who don't know the name, Emily Post, you know, politeness and all the rules of... Thank you, Sister Brown. She knows who I meant. Good, I got one. But Emily Post created all of those specific rules of the, the proper etiquette and so forth in society. And so without those things, we would just be complete savages. We would, we would just indulge the lust of the flesh. And so we have to understand what that means. The Bible says in verse 17, going forward, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit. That's the war that I just mentioned to you. And the spirit against the flesh. Every day, every day, from the moment you wake up, you're conscious in the morning, there's a battle that ensues. The armies of the flesh and the armies of the spirit get up, wake up, get out of their tents, and they head into the battlefield as you're getting up in the morning. And it's going to last all the way until you are no longer conscious and sleeping in your bed again that night. We have to understand that we're going to fight that battle. Now, sometimes we allow the flesh to win the battle. Sometimes we really allow the spirit to win the battle. And what I'm telling you today is we've got to be dressed to the nines. Every single day, every day, as best we possibly can, you got to be dressed to the nines, ready to go into the world, ready to do what God's called you to do, dressed to the nines. That level of perfection as close as you can get to it, both in the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. We've got to be dressed to the nines, okay? Now, I'm having a little fun with this today. I've been pretty heavy lately. I've had, I've, God's put some heavy stuff uh, on me, and I've been able to share that with you, and, and I just feel like he's, he's allowing me some room to just have have a little bit of fun this morning with you and, and be a little lighter. Is that okay? You know God's got a sense of humor. You know how we know, don't you? Look at me. <laughs> That's all you need to know. God does want you to laugh. He wants you to have joy in life. The Bible says that the joy of the Lord is our strength, right? We need to keep joy, regardless of the news that we hear and what we hear in our lives and what we see going on around us. You need to keep joy in your life. Man, you're crazy. You're a fool. There's, yes, amen. You're nuts, Cordell. There's stuff going on. It's, how are you? Nope. Joy of the Lord is my strength. I'm going to stay strong. And I feel strong. I feel strong in what God is leading uh, us to do and what he's leading us in the church and what we're doing together as leaders here continuing to move forward. We're moving forward. you know that? Amen. Okay. It says, in the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another. Well, that's obvious. So that you cannot do the things that you would. Now, what does that mean? You do the things that, we, that you would. And I'm going to get into that a little bit more in just a minute. But when it says that you cannot do the things that you would, so many times I hear people say, man, I wish I could be one of those people that when someone comes to the altar and they're seeking the Holy Ghost, that I could pray for them and they would receive the Holy Ghost. I wish that if I prayed for somebody in the hospital for healing, that they would recover. I wish, I want to do that. Those are the things that you would, right? How many of us in here want to have those, all those abilities? Everybody, right? Everybody in some way, shape, or form wants, would love to have those abilities. Not that we walk around with some kind of superpower or, 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 or the force equivalent or something, but that God would use us in those ways, right? I haven't met anybody in, 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 in this church or, or in faith that in some way doesn't want to be powerfully used by God, right? And so it, 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 we, it, the spirit is contrary and the, and the spirit and the flesh are contrary to one another so that you cannot do the things that you would. In other words, if the focus is on the battle and you're constantly battling and warring back and forth, well, then it's a distraction away from what we should be doing, right? You following me on this? Okay, good. 
Because sometimes we get into the battle and we get distracted from what we should really be doing. Or we get into the battle. The flesh is kind of winning the battle that day and we get into another battle, right? And then that battle is keeping us from doing what God's really called us to do. Because I don't find anywhere in scripture where we're to war with one another or to war with CNN or, or to war with the president or to war, you see, you follow me? That's not our calling. Our calling is to seek and to save that which is lost. Amen. Do the will of the Lord. Scripture just said that all of the law is fulfilled in this, well, six words, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. What does it mean to love your neighbor? Give him gifts, take food over to his house, mow his lawn. Yeah, those are nice things. That'd be a good way to love your neighbor, right? But maybe just perhaps, maybe perhaps the way that he wants us to love our neighbor is to walk over there dressed to the nines and say, I want to tell you about my life in Jesus Christ. I want to tell you what God's done for me. Dressed to the nines, bearing the fruit of the Spirit, using the gifts of the Spirit. Maybe that's what he means by love your neighbor, right? Okay, let's move on a little bit. I'm just, am I getting some folks to think a little bit? Okay, good. This is fun. This is good stuff. It's the Bible. Okay. All right. But it says, but if you be led by the Spirit, verse 18 I'm in now, but if you be led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Okay, this isn't the not fun part. Now it says, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now we know that the word says that Jesus didn't come to destroy the law, that he came to fulfill the law that by the law through him is complete. And so, in other words, the law didn't just disappear, okay? We still aren't supposed to kill people. We're still not supposed to steal. We're not supposed to commit adultery. Those things, the tablets, you know, that stuff's still there, okay? But he fulfilled that law, and as a matter of fact, if you read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, you'll find out that he added some things to those and made them a little bit deeper. It says you're not supposed to kill, but it says that if you hate your brother that you're guilty of murder. How about that? So Jesus came along and he didn't make it all fun and nice and hey, just say my name and everything's all good. He said, well, wait a minute, I'm gonna add a little bit here. I'm gonna make it just a little bit tougher for you because heaven is worth it. Amen. Amen. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery. Now we know what that is. I'm not gonna define all of these. Fornication, that is different from adultery. It's a broader word. It's a broader uh, activity, but it's not good. Uncleanness. Now these first, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four are re- sins related to sexual nature, okay? Uh, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and lasciviousness. Now we know in our society today, we've got a society that's just completely wide open to everything at this point. There's, it's all, it's no holds barred. There is, there's actually no wrong now. And I hesitate to say this, but I just want to bring just a little bit of an urgency aspect to what I'm about to say in, in, in this message. But they are now at the point where there is a group of people putting out information that's saying that pedophilia is a natural sexual orientation. I'm sorry I had to say that from the pulpit today, but I'm, I'm, again, I'm trying to bring an urgency to what is happening around us. And I'm going to leave it at that. I'm going to dwell on that. But that's where we are. So these first four have to do with all of that, uncleanness and lasciviousness, that's, that's overt flirtation and, and, and improper behavior. Now, verse 20 starts uh, the religious sins, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, 
Oh, it has to do with contention, constantly being in contention with rules and people and everything. That's variance. Emulations has to do with jealousy. Wrath, of course, is anger. Strife is, is selfish ambitions. Uh, you ever see anybody that's willing to step over and on top of everyone to climb the ladder, someone that you work with? Selfish ambitions. Seditions, which is just division, creating division. What does the word say about division? Mark those that cause division amongst you, right? These six things uh, are an abomination, excuse me, are, uh, 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 God hates, uh, seven are abomination. That seventh one is causing, sowing discord among the brethren. Division. Heresies, which is intolerance of others. Uh, it's a high level intolerance. Uh, people think that's all related to doctrine, but it's, it goes further than that. Ver- verse 21, then it says, uh, the people's sins, the interactive sins, envyings, which has to do uh, with hating someone because of what they have. Envy, uh, being angry because they've got a place you have or they have or don't have or that you, they have something that you don't. Murders, of course, we know what that is. Drunkenness, revelings, excessive partying to the point of destruction and, and, and nastiness and offending others and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I've told, also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That's pretty strong language, but it's very straightforward. Paul is telling the the church at Galatia, man, you need to get dressed to the nines. You need to get dressed up, and you got to turn away from these behaviors. And and, and oftentimes, we as Christians, we think, well, man, I don't get into none of that stuff. Holy smokes, that's that's some heavy language. You know, the word says that for such were some of you, right, and me, prior to knowing Jesus Christ, But I want to tell you that these are works of the flesh, that in some way, shape, or form, or level, these things can do and unfortunately have existed inside the church. It can. My grandfather used to say, standing in a a church doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in a garage makes you a Chevy. We're still human beings. We fail and we fall if we're not prepared. We need to have that Holy Ghost actively operating in our lives. We need to be dressed to the nines, full of the fruit of the Spirit, full of the gifts. Pastor, you haven't told me what they are yet. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Turn with me to Romans chapter 6. Paul sort of reinforces what he says to Galatia in his letter to the Romans. Chapter 6 and verse 12. He warns the Romans in verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. What does it mean to reign in your mortal body? That means it's just got all the rule, that you have lost the war of the flesh and the spirit uh, to the flesh, and the flesh is winning that war big time, right? It's reigning in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Yield yourselves. That's the key word in that, in that passage. You've got to yield yourselves unto God. In other words, that war that I told you about, uh, when you get up in the morning and when you go to bed at night, that war that happens between there, that battle, that skirmish that goes on, well, guess what? You've got some will in that. You've got some ability in that. And you have some say in that process. And it is a matter of will. It's a matter of discipline. You know what to get dressed? I've been dressed to the nines before, by the way. It's impossible. You're a little chubby guy that's bald. 
No, I've, I've had the opportunity to dress up in a tux once in a while and put on all the fancy shoes and the cufflinks and all that kind of stuff. I told you about my suit the other day. It's got scriptures embroidered in there. That was a sales award. I've got three of them, actually. And the guy said, for free, I'll embroider stuff in your suit. And so uh, my cuffs all say Psalm 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. Thought that was appropriate for the cuff. And back here behind my collars, if you flip them up, it says Acts 2.38, Acts 4.12, and Deuteronomy 6 and 2. So I've been dressed to the nines, and I can dress to the nines. I look funny, but not as sharp as Rob would look dressed to the nines. But it takes some work. <laughs> it's a pain. When you've got to get all dressed up and go to that wedding, wear the tux, stand up in the tux, and you've got to go, you got to crease everything and press everything, and, and you've got 97 layers of vests and shirts and T-shirts and all these things that go together and tie together, and the ladies are looking at me like, you don't even know. You have no idea. Because, <laughs> you know, I get it. I'm not going to say anything at all. Nothing. Um, but it takes some work, and you have some will in that process. You have some abilities in that process during that war, and it's to yield. You can yield your members. You can get up in the morning and consciously say, I'm going to fight this battle in the name of Jesus. I'm going to fight this battle for God today. I want to be righteous completely. Yeah, I am angry with that person that did this happen. Or yes, I can't believe that this is going on and etc. And I'm really mad about that. And you can have all that stuff going on in your mind and it can stay there. But if you yield yourselves to overcome those things, if you look out across the world and you think about the people that you know that are not saved, brothers, sisters, moms and dads, family members that don't know God, and you start to think about the end that they're looking at if they don't get a relationship with God, you can take all those giant things that are in the middle of your war that you're so angry about or that you're fussing with or that you're fearful over, and you can kind of say, wow, these things are really tiny and infinitesimal when it comes to my mother or my sister or my brother spending an eternity in hell. That's the yielding that you can do when it comes time to get dressed to the nines. Get up in the morning. You know, there's another dressing we do. It's called the whole armor of God. There's a conscious decision that we have to make every single day whether or not we yield our members. You know what your members are? Tongue, feet, Hands, ears, you can yield those members one way or the other. But it's my contention that if we're going to survive together in the coming years before the Lord returns, that we've got to be dressed to the nines every day, consciously fighting the battle not to yield ourselves to the flesh. Yield yourselves to the work of the Lord. Verse 16 says, uh, excuse me, I'm going to go back to 15. It says, what then shall we sin? Okay, I'm sorry, I'm going to go back to 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. Well, we know God that we know Jesus brought grace, but again, he didn't destroy the law, he fulfilled it. What then shall we sin? Because we are not under the law, but under grace, God forbid. So that just simply means is, hey, just because we have grace, because we have forgiveness, you just can't go out and do whatever you want to do, beat people up and, and have terrible conflicts with people and stuff like that, and then go, well, I've got grace. God said I'm saved because, you know, he came and he shed his blood for me. Doesn't work that way, and Paul proves it. God forbid, know ye not that to whom ye yield your, yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. And that's what I just got through saying. Basically, whoever you yield to, that's your master. You didn't think of it that way, maybe, did you? you think, I'm the master. I'm the, I'm the commander of my domain. 
I make my decisions. No, sir. No, ma'am. Who you yield yourself to, that's your master. I want to yield myself to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I want to yield myself to the master who's going to carry me from this world into the next one, a place of glory that I can be with him humbly if I can make it. I'm going to do everything I can to dress to the nines, yield myself to the Spirit of God. Verse 20, I'm going to jump you down to verse 20, okay? It says, for when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. Well, that's an obvious formula. If If you're servants of sin, you don't have righteousness on you. What fruit had ye then? Now, here's the fruit. Now, I told you nine, spirits, nine uh, 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 fruits of the Spirit and nine gifts. What fruit had ye then in those things, whereof ye are now ashamed, for the end of those things is death? In other words, what were you producing when you were serving uh, uh, sin, when you were serving the flesh before you knew God? What were, you, what were the fruits of, of that? Were you, were you a person who got into bar fights? Were you a person who argued constantly with your family? Were you a person who stole things? Were you, you know, what fruits were you bearing, he's saying, for the end of those things is death? In other words, it was a rhetorical question. He doesn't want you to list them for him. That's not, his, that's not Paul's business. That's God's business. But he was saying it to bring us into our thoughts. What were we before we knew God, before we knew him and we knew his spirit? For the end of those things is death, he said. So whatever it was, if it was from the flesh, if you were yielding to the master of the flesh, the end of that is death, Right? But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and everlasting life. That's the promise of it. That's the work. It's, it takes work. It takes work to be kind. It takes work to, to be gracious. It takes work to forgive somebody who, in your mind, righteously, in your mind, did something wrong. Our sense of justice is so overproduced, by the way. I'm, I've been guilty of that, but sometimes we're just, we've just got such an overdeveloped sense of justice. Well, he did wrong, and he's a person who's not supposed to do wrong, and I, I'm going to go and tell 15 other people, and I'm going to let everybody but him know that I think he did wrong. And so we have this sense of justice like, hey, man, we, that's not right. That's not right. But the Bible says that if you've got that ought against somebody, you ought to go to them. Let them know. Let them know what you think. What if your information is incorrect? What if your information is slanted? What if your information that you've received isn't including all the facts? Maybe it's justified by opinion. And so so that righteousness in that behavior is dangerous to you because you could be operating on false information. But now being made free from sin and become the servants of God, you have your fruit unto holiness and under everlasting life. Okay, now I'm going to reveal it a little bit now. Now, I realize I'm preaching to the choir for the most part here, but we could have some folks online that never heard this list before, and, uh, and I hope they understand. So if we go to verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit, here we go. But the fruit of the Spirit, let me explain. Fruit, what you produce, what comes out of you, what your actions create in you and in others. That's what fruit is. What are you bearing? The fruit that comes from, just like a tree. An apple tree bears apples. That's its fruit, right? That's what comes from that tree living and breathing and taking nutrients out of the soil and taking water out of the soil and taking photosynthesis from the sun and all that stuff. That is the fruit that is bore, that apple, right? Now, some plants have fruit that are poisonous and some plants have fruit that are nutritious and wonderful and that we consume. And so, but the fruit of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. 
So there's Paul referring back again to the law. And what he's basically saying there is if you operate, now it's almost impossible, I would believe, for a human being to reach total dressed to the nines perfection operating in that 100% of the time. As I said, we're flesh. We get weak, we get tired, we, get, we, we, we lose our thought process, we react to things sometimes, our justice fires up in us, and sometimes we've got to ask for forgiveness. Sometimes we, we make mistakes. I do. I overstep. I take the wrong course. I, sometimes I say the wrong things. I do the wrong things. So we can never get to quite that perfection. But what he's saying is, if you can get there, if you can exhibit those characteristics, if the fruit that you're bearing are those nine things, there isn't a law in God's universe that can come against you. It's an insulating power. You understand? If those nine things are dominating what you are and what you're producing, then lascivious can't sneak in. Strife can't work its way into the tree. That apple tree is working in perfection that God created to produce apples. It is not putting thorns and figs out there. It doesn't let a little something slip in and all of a sudden it's producing poisonous fruit. It's pure and perfect. It's operating in perfection that God designed it. And what he's saying is that you have the opportunity to do the same thing if you will yield, if you will dress to the nines and get that built inside you and decide I'm going to be a Christian. I'm going to do the right things every single moment of my life as best I possibly can. Because at the end of the day, when we stand before our creator there is no law against those things amen. amen love is very easy to understand you can read scripture it's all over the place many definitions many direction and ways that we can express love joy boy far too often i've seen christians wonderful christian people they have wonderful family home, the lovely job and a home and, and friendships and all that stuff and walk around with a scowl on their face all the time. And I always say, I wonder what's, what's hurting that person? What's bringing that person down? What has taken their joy? Because the joy of the Lord is your strength, as I said earlier. And I wonder, and sometimes I reach out, hey, what's happening? What's going on? Not judging, not, wow, oh, look at that person. They just scowl all the time. I don't want to talk to them. But there's a lot of things in life right now that are going on that could steal your joy. Even this past week, there's things that could have stolen your joy if you chose to, if you let it. But I want to be strong for God. I want to be strong for you as your pastor and as your leader. And I don't want my joy stolen because I want to be strong. You understand? We can have joy. Well, the key there is doing things and finding things and working on things that help you enhance your joy. What is it that makes you joyful in life? Well, I can tell you that focusing on what so-and-so did wrong or what this person or that person did bad or how they're failing you or how this is that or how uh, so-and-so uh, did you wrong or, or this situation happened in your marriage or whatever, you can focus on all that and put that under a microscope and boy, you can give your joy up in a heartbeat if you want to do that. But that won't bring you the solution. That's not the pathway to get to where you want to be. Strong in the Lord. Peace, of course, is very similar. Peace is just simply not striving and not being in How many of you would like some peace today? Amen, right? It's kind of hard. We're, we're looking at some things through, through flesh eyes at what's happening in our world today. It's hard to find peace. But their peace is there. Do you know that? Peace exists. It's not gone just because there's strife in the world. It's not gone because of a disease. Peace always exists. The word tells you how to get there. 
The Bible says, a great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. The Bible tells you how to get to peace. Find out where you find your peace. It's a matter of yielding, and it's a matter of will that you go out there and you find your peace, okay? It takes work. Like I said, dressing to the nines is tough. Man, those high, buff, crazy shoes they put on you at the, at the tuck's place, it takes a wrench and a hammer and a couple of screwdrivers to get them buggers on sometimes, right? I order my size every time, and I'm in there. You know, they're about this wide. You know, what's going on? It takes work to get into that stuff. Long-suffering. Long-suffering. Have some patience. Be patient with people. You can do it. You can bear down. You can bite your lip and bite your tongue and have a little bit of patience. As I said, if we, if we communicate with one another, we go to one another, as the word says, maybe you'll find out there's more to the situation than you, you thought. Be patient with people. You're not perfect. You're driving somebody else crazy. They're driving you crazy and you're not having patience with them. Guess what? You're driving somebody else nuts. But they're being patient with you. You just don't know about it. See what I mean? It's a two-way street, isn't it? But it'll help you in the long run. It'll help you stay calm. You know people that don't have long-suffering, don't have patience in their lives, are so impatient. Do you know that they suffer from all kinds of physiological problems, heart issues, high blood pressure? You ever meet somebody like that? They're just always going like this. Something's always wrong. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. Patience, man. Calm down. Take it easy. And you look at that person, you go, that is a stroke just waiting to happen. I want to go be with the Lord someday, but I don't want to have it in a massive stroke because I can't be patient with people, right? I know I'm being a little silly, but I told you I was going to be light today. Gentleness and goodness and faith, those, to me, those go together. Be gentle. You know, if you've got a problem with somebody, you're dealing with a situation at home, your kids, your wife, your, your husband, a neighbor, a family member, something like that, you can be gentle. You've got to go to them. If something's frustrating, if something's driving you crazy and the flesh is telling you, hate that person, go gossip, go say something else, go do something else to that person, make their life miserable. You can fight that off and you can go and tell them what you got to tell them and you can be gentle about it. Sometimes people want to kill flies with sledgehammers and all you get is a really, really flat, messy fly and broken concrete. Verse 23 says, meekness and temperance. Meekness, of course, is just not being loud and boisterous and, and obnoxious and drawing attention to yourself all the time. I don't, I don't really know anybody like that. Just kidding. And then finally, temperance is just as you behave, as you act, just kind of temper that a little bit. Just kind of, you might want to rush in. The Bible, or, uh, Elvis once said that fools rush in where angels fear to tread, Right? That wasn't Elvis. He just stole it from Shakespeare. But it holds true. It's a good piece of wisdom. Fools rush in where angels fear to tread. We've got to be temperate about the way we approach things. Man, I'm really hacked off about how Cordell's doing this thing with the, with the shutdown and the, and the opening of the church. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to tell him what for. No one's done that, by the way. Nobody. Seriously. No one's done that. But people can get that way if we don't hold temperance. Now, each of these things that we talk about, meekness and temperance and goodness and faith and gentleness, has its opposite effect. In other words, if you don't do those things, it will have an effect on the person that is the receiver. And do you think that they'll automatically hold to the nine gifts if they're approached that way? 
No. That's the miracle of this little formula is that when we carry love and joy and peace and temperance and goodness and faithfulness and, and we approach people that way, we interact with our conflicts and we interact with our issues and things that we need to do with one another. When we carry those things into the confrontation or into the conversation and we deliver them that way, I'm telling you, you receive it back. Isn't that amazing? I was in a drive-thru the other day and I won't mention the, the uh, establishment, but it rhymes with McDonald's. And... Um, I just wanted to breeze in real quick and get a cup of coffee. And so they've got these two, two spot things. You know, you can drive either one. There's two of them now. When, when my darling sweetie and I met at McDonald's in 1986, 7, 8, they didn't have that. We, we met at the Fry Vat in, in McDonald's. And uh, they didn't have two of those things. They just had one. But anyway, so you, you pull into one of those parking lots, and I know everybody here is going, I don't go to McDonald's. I eat way healthy. You're judging me, I know. So they have this thing now, so up against the, the building, sort of uh, the sidewalk area, the, the yellow lane, right? They've got the yellow lane, and it pulls forward into this thing, and then it splits off into two, and they've got that yellow line. Man, that's just defined right around there. And apparently, it's like an international law, and, and that it is, it's a border. It's like, it's like Mexico and America. I mean, it's this, this line, this yellow line, and I found out that uh, you can be an offense of several international laws if you cross that line. And so I'm pulling in there, and there's four cars lined up along the building, and they're all pulling into the left window. And uh, I'm, I just want a cup of coffee. That's it. I'm flying by the seat of my pants. I just want a cup of coffee. And nobody's pulling out and going around to the other, the other window, right? Or the ordering thing. And so I'm sitting there. I'm looking at this. I'm like, well, this is kind of goofy. Nobody's going. So... I committed an intemperate sin. I didn't wait for the line to go through all of the one side and I, I passed everybody and I went over there and sat at the window and ordered my coffee. Well, number three or four in the line pulled up, placed his order and then he rolled his window down and he flagged me down like this and uh, he wasn't smiling. <laughs> Don't you know that you were supposed to pull it under? There's a yellow light in here. This guy just started to just tear me up. And I, did, I said, and, and I felt bad. And I, I said, I leaned out and, and I said, sir, I am so sorry. I, I didn't see any cars moving. Nobody was coming around. I just, I'm just grabbing a quick, it doesn't matter. That yellow line exists for a reason. There's an international law that says you can't cross that line. You owe me $10,000. No. But I thought to myself at that exact moment, that's the kind of thing that creates conflicts where people are shooting themselves in our nation. Because somebody went ahead of them 10 seconds. I mean, that line was just a clipping. They do a pretty good job. This is one over in McDonald's or in McGuanago. And they just, that thing was just a moving. I mean, it was seconds before the fourth car was at the window yelling at me. And I'm thinking, holy cow, man, you must be starving. But this is the kind of thing that happens out there road rage, things that people pull guns and they're shooting one another over this stuff. And I just said, and I could feel. Now, listen, I'm talking about the war of the flesh now. And I could feel immediately inside me, this is Pastor Cordell you're talking about. Now, I got certain responsibilities, right? <laughs> I've got citizenry I got to be careful. I could feel inside my flesh well up in me. I wanted to let fly on that guy. I'm telling you, I wanted to let the string out on him. I wanted to see, well, man, first of all, 
You can't be starving that bad. The lines, you can't wait five seconds more. I didn't do that. I did not yield to what my flesh wanted to do. And I said, sir, I am so sorry. Please, I just, I, no one was moving. I'm in a bit of a rush. I just want a cup of coffee. I'm, I'm sure it won't hold you. It doesn't matter. And he persisted. He wouldn't receive my, my, my apology. So you know what I did? There was a car ahead of him. And then I folded in because of where I came in. Who said it? Not only did I buy his, but because I got ahead of the car in front of him, I bought the previous, the, him too because I didn't know which one would come up first. So I pulled up to the window and I said, sir, I just committed a mortal sin. <laughs> I literally said that. I've just committed a mortal sin, broken several international laws, and I crossed the yellow line and I've upset this person behind me. Can you just pay for mine and the car, two cars behind me? And they go, okay, sure. And they, they had to do it three times or whatever. And I started to drive away, and as I was pulling out of the thing, the guy behind me, that had nothing to do with any of this, by the way, never said a word to me, he's waving out his window, honking. (laughs) (laughs) So so the guy that was paid for that really mattered was probably hunkered down in his car feeling shame because of the 10 extra seconds he had to wait for his meal that was so important. And it wasn't cheap either. I paid $16 for a cup of coffee. (laughs) Wow. Wow. $16 cup of coffee that day. But you know what? I learned my lesson. I'm going to stay inside that yellow line. (laughs) I'm not going to yield my members to being in a rush. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'll be wrapping up here. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Those are the nine gifts of the Spirit, or fruit of the Spirit that I was talking about. The things that take work. It takes effort. It takes discipline. You have to make the decision. I've actually had people... Uh, in, with, not here, but within the church organization uh, who came at me with some, sometimes people just don't think and they just, you know, no temperance, no patience. And I've actually looked at people uh, on a couple of occasions and said, is that coming from the fruit? It's amazing how quickly they shut up and they calm down and they, right? Or, oh, you did this, and I'd say, did you get that in prayer? Did that come from the Holy Ghost? And they get real quiet real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse 1. It says, now concerning the spiritual gifts. Now we're going to go to the other nine. We're going to address to the nines and our spiritual gifts. Brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Ye know that ye were Gentiles, meaning you were sinners. You were, you were not in favor with God. Carried away unto these dumb idols, even as you were led. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Now, I spoke to you recently. We talked a lot about the Holy Ghost, the infilling of the Holy Ghost, the Spirit inside you, operating in you. And, and I won't go and re-preach that message, but again, it's very critically that we understand that. Verse 4, now there are diversities of gifts. This comes from the presence of God living inside your heart. Now, the world and, and many faiths and things like that that don't truly understand this word are going to tell you that the gifts of the Spirit are what happens when you get saved. They don't differentiate that evidence of receiving the Holy Ghost by the speaking of tongues, Mark 16, 16. They don't give that account. They don't separate the two. These are nine specific gifts 
that come from having been filled with the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost residing inside you, yielding your members to God, using you for the purposes of edifying the church and other things. Verse four, now there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. Now, why does he say the same spirit? What he's saying is the spirit that you received when you gave your life over to God, it's the same spirit that's now going to offer you or allow you the opportunities for these nine fantastic edifying gifts, okay? Verse five, and there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And that means essentially that d- different administrations, there are different levels of people that do these things, different ways that the gifts manifest themselves, but the same Lord. It's not coming from two or three different gods, it's coming from God. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. Okay, that's a message of unity. There's different ways that these gifts manifest. There's different places and times that God will use you for these purposes, but it's all from God. It's a unified gift. Verse seven, but the manifestation of the spirit is given to every man to profit with all. In other words, the reason that we're given these gifts is not for us. It's not to make us superheroes and proud and we're great and we're all going to God, because, going to the Lord because we have this great spirit. The purpose is to help other people people. Verse 8, for to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, and to another discerning of spirits, and to another divers kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues, but all these worketh that one and the selfsame Spirit dividing to every man severally as he will. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. That's talking about us, the body, the members. We're all part of the body, different members, right? But we're all one. Verse 13, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles. See, that's talking about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That's not talking about the water baptism of regeneration. We're baptized into that spirit. The Bible says if we have not the spirit of Christ, we are none of his. We've got to have the infilling of that spirit. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have made all made to drink into one spirit, for the body is not one member but many. Okay, now, I don't have time to go through all of the, the descriptions of these different, uh, uh, these different gifts that are there. I wish I did, but essentially, I want you to study them. I want you to go and learn them. Why? Because this is part of being dressed to the nines. We've, we should be seeking this knowledge. These things were in operation in the book of Acts, in the first church, the Pentecostal church. I've said to you time and time again, I want to go back to Pentecost. If we want to be powerful in this community, if we want to be effective for what we're doing, if we want a shot at making it, not only do we have to exhibit those nine fruit, the things that we bear, the things that we do that are beneficial for you and for me together, interact together, but we can get these nine gifts of the Spirit operating in this church. It can happen. And when we do, the word is going to spread. People are going to be affected by this. They're going to be coming in droves. At some place, it's going to be Noah's Ark, and the rain is going to start falling. And any minute, God is going to shut that door closed. And until that happens, we're going to have the opportunity to affect people. If we've got these spirits operating in us, these gifts, excuse me, operating in us through our spirit, 
See, Jesus was the greatest advertising agent I've ever seen in my life. The guy was amazing because he knew he could go into a small town. He could do a healing. He could heal somebody of blindness, heal somebody, raise someone from the dead. And the word would spread like this, like wildfire. And people would come from all around. I want to see these miracles. I want to meet this Jesus. It's the greatest marketing campaign ever known. Then he said, the works that I do, you're going to do them greater. Didn't he say that? Didn't Jesus say that? You're going to do what I've done? It ain't nothing compared to what you're going to do. You're going to do greater things, bigger and further and around the world. How are we going to do it? Intellect? Academia? Knowing Greek? Knowing philosophy? Is that how we're going to do it? No, we're going to do it through the nine gifts of the Spirit operating in the church as it was in the time of Pentecost. You got to study these. Find out the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom. What do those things mean? How do they operate? Look for them, seek them. The Bible says that it's good for you to seek these things. Desire the perfect gift. Desire the best gifts. In other words, the ones that God wants to operate in you that that are going to be effective in you. We have, you know, we have gifts of the Spirit in the church. When we were going through the Jonathan Project, I, I was shocked to find out how many of these nine gifts of the Spirit are actually functioning within our church, within people in our church, and we don't even know. We were, started talking about these. I was teaching a lesson on it. And, and these guys in our, in, in our class started, well, you know what? Actually, uh, this one time, uh, so-and-so was sick in our church and, and uh, they had cancer. And, uh, well, God, God used me to pray for them and they were healed. And I'm going, what? God used you in the gift of healing? Well, yeah, I've always kind of wanted to be used by God for him. And I'm going, dude, you got to jump up and down and say, yes, God, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Hey, everybody, guess what? God used me in the gifts of healing. This person happened, here's the testimony. So that you can be built in faith and you can say, hey, man, if that guy can be used in the gifts of healing, I can be used in the gift of faith, the gift of knowledge, the word of wisdom. This can happen in the church, but how's it going to happen? Somebody's going to light the match. Somebody's going to say, hey, we've got gifts interpretation of tongues all the time, right? We're sort of bored with that. Well, that's kind of neat, and we, we praise God when that happens, and it's wonderful. God, speak to us. There's a tongues message that's given, and somebody always interprets. It's operating in our church right now. Are you mean to tell me that if we've got two of the nine operating now openly, we can't get the other seven? Yes. Yes, we can, and we're going to do it. If you commit to it, if you commit to yielding your bodies to what the Spirit can do, if you dress to the nines, operate in the nine, get the nine spirit, the fruits of the Spirit first. Get that sword up, get that working, and start praying to God, God, how can I be used to edify the church and to reach other people? God, use me in the spirits. You know God has used me in a word of faith at different times. I was sitting in a Bible study one time. Many of you remember uh, Sister Bonnie Swakavich. And we were sitting in a Bible study group uh, at uh, Brother and Sister Matson's house, as a matter of fact. And, and, and she was fretting because people at her company were losing their job. And, and she said, this one's losing their job. And this one's so far I've got my job, but I'm really afraid. There's a meeting on Monday, and I think they're going to come and tell me I'm fired like everybody else in my department. They're getting rid of the department. And a word came in my head. I didn't ask for it. I wasn't in prayer. I was just feeling something in my heart for Sister Bonnie going, oh man, I don't want Sister Bonnie to lose her job. And God speaks to me and says, they're going to come to her and they're going to give her another opportunity to move to a different department. And without thinking, because I was young and impetuous and I wasn't smart enough to hold myself back. I'm just kidding. But I just blurted it out. I said, Sister Bonnie, they're going to come to you in that meeting and they're going to offer you a job in another place. 
within your company. And and she looked at me like, okay. The following week, we were at that Bible study. She ran up to me. She said, Brother Coral, no, it was at church, I'm sorry, the following church service. She ran up to me, she said, Brother Coral, Brother Coral, you would not believe this. They pulled me into that meeting. They sat me down and said, your entire department is getting wiped out. We have no more work for you here. But your work has been excellent. We'd like to offer you a position in this department. Better pay, better hours, better position. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I want to say this as well, and I'm wrapping up, and you can stand with me this morning. I, I, I've got several more scriptures and other things to reinforce, and once again, I've run out of time, and I'm not going to keep you any longer. Study the book of Galatians. Study these gifts. I'll try to preach on them a little bit more as we're going forward because I think they're critically important to the operation of the church and moving forward. Anybody want to go back to Pentecost? I want to take it back to Pentecost. And if you're with me and we seek these things, God will use us mightily. But I want to tell you this and I want to say this in all. I've been, I've been a little fun today and I've, I've really enjoyed it and I'm, I'm glad to have made some of you laugh and have some good time. And you should. You should have the joy of the Lord in your hearts. But I'm going to say this with all seriousness as I'm closing this morning. I know many of you want to be used in the gifts of the Spirit. You want to be used in ministry. You want to be used to see people saved. You have unsaved loved ones. You have people you know that need God desperately. But in order to have authority in the Spirit that will allow you to speak a word of healing or a word of wisdom or a word of faith, you want that authority. See, that's an authority when you're able to do that. Did you know that? It's an authority that God gives you when you're able to command those things or take command of them through the Spirit. Okay? When you pray for people at the altar and you want them to be filled with the Holy Ghost, that's, that's submitting to an authority. And I want to tell you this, and you must understand that if you live a life that is contrary to the authority in your life, if you are not submitted to the authority that's been set over you, and that includes your boss at work, yes, that includes your pastor, that includes your leaders, if you are not submitted to the authority surrounding you, God will give you no authority in the use of his spirit, okay? We live in a world today that has taken authority and completely thrown it right out of the boat. That's why we're seeing what we're seeing in the world today. And sometimes it's hard to submit to authority, especially someone that you don't particularly see as an authority in your life. But you've got to look at God's definition of what that authority is and not your own. I want to be effectively used by God in these ways. I submit to my authority. I've always, always submitted to my pastor. I've always, when I've worked for someone, when they're the boss, they ask me to do something, I submit to that authority. And that includes not tearing them up, not criticizing, not being a problem, not going after them. doesn't matter how harsh or brutal they are. And I can point at scripture, by the way. I can, I can train you up on this on scripture all day long. The Bible says even if they're a taskmaster, even if they, they're, they're harsh, you honor the authority that's over you. If you begin to live a life submitted to authority in that way, and you're also simultaneously seeking God to use you 
to reach people that need God, to reach your lost loved ones, to be used and having authority and command of the Spirit for those nine gifts. That's how you get dressed to the nines. In humility, you submit to authority and God will give you authority. If you've been struggling, wanting these things to happen in your life and you've been struggling, I challenge you today to think about how you have responded to the authorities in your life. If you've tended to fuss a little bit with the boss, you've tended to kind of do things your own way, the elders in your life, mom and dad, whatever the case is, and you find some flaws there, that's okay. Today's the day you can fix that. Begin submitting to your authorities. Follow the fruit of the Spirit. Study and research this. And I promise you, I promise you that God will begin to use you and give you authority to begin to exercise these powerful gifts. Amen? This altar is open this morning. You're welcome to come down. Thank you for operating on social distancing and continuing to be respectful to one another in that regard. I pray God's blessing on you today. God's going to do awesome things in this church by his authority, in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.